Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ashton. Thank you for having me. So in layman's terms, can you explain how Rosette Array technology works? Yeah, essentially, Rosette Array technology is a model of early brain and spinal cord development, early being within the first trimester of embryonic development. And essentially, we've created lots of tissues that are arrayed, and they generate these structures called rosettes, which model some of that first stage of brain and spinal cord formation. And we can make a lot of these tissues in our cell culture dishes, which provides a high-throughput screening platform. So the technology itself broadly can be used with any human stem cell lines. So we can get these from patients, or we can use approved governmental stem cell lines in order to create rosette arrays. And the technology allows us really to just screen what happens very early in brain and spinal cord development, again, in the first trimester, in a high throughput or in a very fast and quantitative manner. When did UW researchers develop this technology, and how has it been refined over time? This technology was actually developed in my lab with myself and several grad students. We started developing this technology back in 2014, and we initially started generating the protocols to create the cell types that model early brain and spinal cord development. We then integrated that with material science in order to create the Rosette Arrays, which gives you a very nice array presentation of hundreds of tissues to thousands of tissues in a culture dish. And that was done around 2016. We published that in 2018, and we've been now refining it, commercializing it sort of through the pandemic. <laughs> through Neurovetta, which is a startup out of my lab, which licensed the technology from UW-Madison. And we have basically now made it a screening pipeline so that we can do this with lots of different cell types, lots of different human cell lines, patients, as well as genetically engineered cell lines. What is fascinating is that you can start to see hallmarks of diseases, particularly diseases that cause congenital birth defects, such as spinal bifida or neural tube defects, as well as autism spectrum disorder for various autism backgrounds within our array experimental system. And so this has created significant interest because what it allows us to do is we can essentially model a patient's disorder via their genetic background within our array, and we can then use that experimental system to screen for potential therapeutics that could either help to mitigate the severity of the disease in the case of autism spectrum disorder or actually try to start to prevent the disease from occurring at all if the therapeutics are taken in a prophylactic sense during the stages of conception and early embryonic development to prevent the disorders from occurring in the first place. So that is the excitement behind the technology and the fact that it can be used to conduct precision medicine so I believe it was the study that you co-authored with the University of Southern California that would pertain to autism spectrum disorder. When you mentioned mitigating the severity, what exactly does that mean? So autism spectrum disorder, and I really didn't, I'm an engineer by background and training and have applied that to stem cell and tissue engineering. And when we started to look for applications of our technology, we started to look at disorders out there. And autism is fascinating because right now, about one in 36 of every children before the age of eight are diagnosed with some form of autism. And autism has very broad spectrum. So not everybody is, you know, severely affected. A lot of people that have autism are very functioning. And that's a complicated concept. But um, <laughs> now for patients that are diagnosed with autism, it should come as no surprise that it's a developmental disorder, meaning that somewhere along the normal pathway of neurodevelopment, particularly in the brain, there's been something that's slightly different that has caused a symptom of autism, a dysfunction of a particular portion or, or region of the brain. And so what we've actually been able to show in that particular study, this is a collaboration with Dr. Jordan Quadrado out at USC, 
a brilliant neuroscientist. We essentially provided them the platform, showed them how to do it, and essentially they could screen the lines that they had generated from patients as well as genetically engineered lines to have the autism risk gene with our robot array platform. And instead of having a, a two-month experimental process, they now had an eight-day experimental process. And so it accelerated their ability to show a quantitative phenotype with their autism spectrum disorder patient lines, essentially detecting the risk of autism. And that was the crux of the publication to show the particular genetic mutation that they were looking at causes these changes in early brain development. This has been done for one autism risk gene, um, one of the most prevalent autism risk genes, or one that has the highest correlation with autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. But there are hundreds of different, hundreds of thousands, potentially, um, autism genetic backgrounds. And so right now, what we're looking for is we're trying to get funding so that we can continue to see how many different backgrounds technology could be used for a quantitative assessment of risk for autism spectrum disorder. Now, once we have that model, what we can then do is screen against FDA-approved drugs, various chemical pharmaceutical drug libraries to see if there are compounds that essentially can rescue our models. So we have a decrease in the efficiency of our model due to the autism risk genetic background, and we basically screen with chemicals and or drugs, potential drugs, to see if they can rescue or reduce that risk that's seen in our model. And if they can, then they become sort of potential targets for drugs that a patient can use because we can model particular patients within our system that can be applied to specific genetic backgrounds for autism. And that could potentially, if taken early enough, mitigate some of the effects of autism because brain development occurs all the way through your teenage years, really. And so if you could try to start to correct some of that dysfunction, then you might be able to decrease the severity of, of an autism patient if you can get them treated early enough. Now, autism is an inherited, highly inherited disorder. And so typically families can have a background of autism. So you might have family member that has autism that is sort of directly related to you. And that may mean that you and your genetic background have a higher risk for having a pregnancy affected by autism than other people who have no family history of autism. And so in that case, we could potentially still create a rosetary model from your themselves and try to model that risk that you have as well and come up with potential compounds that you could take as a, in a prophylactic sense in order to decrease the likelihood of you having a pregnancy affected by autism. So you mentioned some of these medical applications of this research that you've conducted. Are there any ethical pitfalls to these applications? And if so, how might the scientific community address those concerns? Well, the only ethical pitfall is that it really costs money. <laughs> And so access to the technology is something that is always a concern because you want everybody to have access to it, not just those who can afford it. Hopefully things will eventually get picked up by insurance companies and then it can be more broadly disseminated. But even then, that still limits access. So in terms of the ethical nature, just in terms of the, the model that we're generating, there's really no concerns there. We're not creating full human brains or spinal cords in a dish. We're creating just the earliest stages of formation and it essentially is a non-viable tissue outside of our culture dish. So just to clarify, you're not striving for a cure for autism. It's just that you're seeking a better understanding. Is that right? So autism is an extremely complex sort of umbrella term of disorders. So there are lots of different types of autism. What our platform can do is to help accelerate the discovery of potential quote-unquote cures for autism spectrum disorder. If you can see that risk for autism in our model, then you can screen for potential medicines that can potentially mitigate the severity of their autism, or if they are trying to have children, be using a prophylactic sense 
to prevent the future pregnancies of having a pregnancy affected by autism. So it is very much driving towards a cure for specific autism backgrounds. Again, autism is a huge spectrum, and so there are very highly functioning autistic persons that see it as a benefit because a lot of times they can have, you know, enhanced focus, enhanced capabilities because of their autism. And so for those people, it may not be something that they're looking for. However, there are autistic patients that are severely disabled and need lifelong care. I mean, that is an extreme financial burden on the parents, the family, the community. And so for those patients, if we could prevent or decrease the severity of their autism, then that would be a huge improvement in their quality of life. And those are the people that we are seeking to help. Thank you again for agreeing to speak with me, Dr. Ashton. Thank you, sir. That was Dr. Randolph Ashton. Associate Director of UW-Madison's Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine Center. Using stem cell technology he developed in his lab, researchers are getting more insight into the human brain.